Good morning. Will you please take your copy of the Word of God and turn to Matthew chapter 9. I know that uh, we've slowed down a little bit as we've been studying through the gospel according to Matthew. Um, today we're going to be looking at just four verses, but uh, it's, it's worth it. It's worth slowing down a little bit and taking in all that uh, God intends for us through these words. So uh, let's read the passage together, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. All right, well, this is a little bit awkward, but somebody sitting back there, uh, is my silver backpack on one of those chairs, Nate? Could you grab it? <laughs> If I was really a good preacher, I wouldn't use notes, but. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Oh, thanks. No one called, did they? Oh, great. Hmm. Excuse me, everybody. Must be papers back here. There they are. Thank you, Heather. Well, I think that's the first time that's happened. <laughs> All right. So uh, that's the passage. And uh, let's go on and look at it in some detail. And the first thing that we see here in verse 9 is the call. And uh, Matthew begins by saying, as Jesus passed on from there. And so that connects this passage with verses 1 through 8 before, where we saw the story of Jesus healing the paralytic man around Capernaum. And so that's where Jesus passed on from. He's still in the region of Capernaum. He's uh, near the sea, in fact, but has moved on from the scene of the healing of that paralytic man. And then we're told that he saw a man called Matthew. And this is the same Matthew who wrote the gospel according to Matthew. So now introduced in the story to the author of this, this book. Um, 
Matthew, like a lot of other Jewish men at the time, had two names. Matthew, obviously, which was his Aramaic name, and that means gift of God. And then he also had a Jewish name. We don't read about that here, but um, there are parallel accounts of this story in Mark's gospel as well as Luke's gospel. And both Mark and Luke uh, refer to him as Levi. So that was his Jewish name. And uh, Peter, by the way, also had two names. There was Simon and Cephas. They're, they're not the only examples. So Jesus encounters this uh, individual, Matthew, and we're told he was sitting at the tax booth. Luke calls him a tax collector. That's why he was at the tax booth. And uh, uh, Matthew's job, like other tax collectors, was to get whatever money they could for the Roman government. They had a whole slew of taxes. They even had income taxes. Uh, but they had excise taxes. They had uh, um, tolls that they would collect. Um, when wagons would go by a toll booth, they had a tax on axles. When goods were unloaded from uh, crossing the Sea of Galilee, there was uh, a tax on the, the goods. There were all kinds of taxes that were collected. And the Roman government employed, not the IRS, but their version of the IRS, uh, but it was sort of like a, a pyramid scheme. It was a franchise kind of system. And so they sold tax-collecting franchises to the highest bidder. And tax collectors were free to basically use any means necessary to get as much money as they could from those under their jurisdiction so long as the people up the pyramid got their cut, including ultimately the emperor. And these tax collectors were, um, by and large, Jewish. And remember what's going on here in the first century. Uh, Israel is an occupied territory. They're occupied by a foreign military power, the Roman Empire. And the Jews did not like that. They, they hated the, their Roman occupiers for a lot of good reasons, a lot of reasons that we would probably uh, hate them for as well. But in addition to that, the Roman Empire had a different religion than the religion practiced by the Jews. And uh, they resented each other, actually, because of that. And so here are these Jewish tax collectors, <clears throat> like Matthew or Levi, who sold themselves, basically, to the Roman Empire. And they made a really comfortable living as tax collectors. 
they had a reputation for being ruthless, for being greedy, for being loyal to the Roman Empire and disloyal to the Commonwealth of Israel. And so it's no wonder that the Jewish people hated above everybody else tax collectors. They were traitors. They were idolaters. They were liars, extortioners, thieves. Very, very unpopular people. They were outcasts from Jewish society. They were not allowed to attend synagogue. They were not allowed to testify in a Jewish court of law. They were persona non grata, unwelcome, outcasts from Jewish society. And so it's really shocking that Jesus comes to Matthew's tax booth and he doesn't avoid him. He doesn't lay into him, doesn't tell him off. He simply says, follow me. And Matthew knew what Jesus meant. Remember that Capernaum was Jesus' base of operations during this phase of his public ministry. It was outside of Capernaum that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, Matthew dedicates three chapters to the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe Matthew, as an unconverted tax collector, was actually there. We're not told explicitly that he was there, but he could have been there. He uh, certainly was exposed to the contents of the Sermon on the Mount. He dedicated so much ink to it. And it was in and around Capernaum that Jesus was performing miracles and healing people and preaching the gospel of repentance. So even if Matthew had never had a personal encounter with Jesus prior to this, there's no doubt that Matthew knew what Jesus was all about. He, he knew what Jesus' message was. And so when Jesus says, follow me, Matthew knew what that entailed. Jesus had disciples at this point. Peter and Andrew were named, but there were more disciples than that at this point. Matthew knew that Jesus was calling him to become his disciple. Matthew understood that Jesus' words were an invitation to turn his back on his former way of life and follow Jesus as one of his disciples, making a complete U-turn. That's what's all bound up in those simple words, follow me. Matthew understood and, and wonder of wonders, we're told Matthew rose and followed him. Very simple. Follow me. And he rose and followed him. Luke adds a little bit more detail in terms of the personal cost. In Luke 5.28, 
we read, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And you could see why Matthew, being a humble disciple now that he's writing this gospel, you could understand why he wouldn't write that about himself. He doesn't want to draw a bunch of attention to himself. You read the gospel of Matthew, you don't read Matthew speaking. So he's quiet, he's a humble man. He doesn't um, advertise this great personal cost of following Jesus, but it was the case. It was absolutely true. That's why Luke recorded it. Left everything. He rose and followed him. He left his living. He left his job. He left his circle of friends. He left his prestige. He left his position with the Roman Empire in order to follow Jesus. So that's the call. Then... Matthew tells us about the dinner in verse 10. So verse 10 begins, And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, very straightforward, streamlined statement. Again, Luke gives us more detail. Luke 5.29, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Matthew simply says, Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So Matthew, Levi, is throwing this feast, this dinner party, in honor of Jesus. He's excited that he made this U-turn in his life. He's excited that he's turned his back on his former life, and he's now following Jesus, and he wants to introduce Jesus to his friends, and he wants to introduce his friends to Jesus. That's why there were other tax collectors and sinners who were there. Tax collectors, we understand at this point, sinners is this catch-all word. It basically means unrighteous people, low life. Riffraff, outcasts of society, people that polite religious people would not hang around with. Today, we might say something like gang members, drug dealers and addicts, LGBTQ+. On and on and on and on. In our eyes, the most unlikely converts. This was quite a scene. 
and it attracted the attention of the Jewish religious leaders. So we see that next in verse 11, the accusation. And when the Pharisees saw this, the the Pharisees were the religious conservatives among the Jews. They were known for um, protecting the law by erecting um, this protective um, hedge around the law of, made up of their rules and regulations and traditions. And ironically, in their effort to protect the law, they actually undermined the law because they didn't draw a distinction between what actually was God's law and what was the tradition of men. But the Pharisees were known as religious conservatives. They looked the part. They acted religious and moral. And one of the things that they did is that they judged others. They they looked down their noses at others. And they justified themselves in their own minds that they were righteous. That's the Pharisees. And these Pharisees saw what was going on. And it brings to mind this almost comical mental image that they saw as in like they're peeking through the window or something. They're they're spying on Jesus to see what he's going to do. But they can see that Jesus, who's claiming to be the Messiah, who claims to have the authority to forgive sins, And there he is, reclining at table and enjoying a meal with tax collectors and sinners. And they didn't didn't keep their opinion to themselves. And so the Pharisees said to the disciples, Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's not an honest question. You've had people ask you a loaded question like that before, I'm sure. This is not a humble, objective, open-minded query for truth and facts. This is a question with an agenda behind it. And the agenda is, What kind of teacher is this who would eat with tax collectors and sinners? And then it was even more personal and biting than that because they say, why does your teacher, it's your teacher, why are you so dumb and gullible and unholy and unrighteous to have a teacher like this as your teacher. Surely you don't condone this kind of behavior, do you? In their eyes, to eat with sinners meant to share not only a meal, but also to share in their sinfulness. 
In another story, in Luke 15 and verse 2, we read, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. To them, sinfulness was like a uh, contagious disease. If you were around sinners, eating with sinners, sharing a table with sinners, then you're going to catch their sinfulness. You're going to be defiled and guilty and polluted just like they are. Now let's be clear about something. I've heard this passage twisted and abused out of its context quite a bit. You probably have too. It's not that Jesus and his disciples were joining sinners in their sinning. And that's the way I've heard this presented before. I, I've heard this passage presented in the sense that why do Christians make a big deal about sin? About calling a spade a spade, certain lifestyles, certain activities as sinful. I mean, look, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. True, and we're going to see exactly why, but that doesn't mean that Jesus condoned their sin. He didn't join them in their sinning. They shared a meal together and they listened to Jesus as he preached the gospel. Why, why would I say that? Well, remember what we saw earlier in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. Matthew 4 and verse 23, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This is what Jesus was all about. He was about teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, later on in chapter 4, uh, or earlier, I should say, we're, we're told, verse 17, that Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then back in chapter 9, after the passage that we're looking at now, in verse 35, we read, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. This is what Jesus did. So if before and after this event, Jesus is teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, are we to think that when he gets invited to this dinner party put on in his honor by Levi, that Jesus is talking about the intricacies of tax collecting and sinning? He's talking about the same thing he always talked about, the gospel of the kingdom. But the thing is, 
these tax collectors and sinners were interested in listening. They had open ears to hear what Jesus had to say. But that's the accusation in verse 11. Then, Matthew tells us about the defense. How Jesus answered this loaded question, this uh, accusation in the form of a question. Jesus defends himself with an, an illustration. Verse 12. When Jesus heard it, so this accusation got to Jesus' ears, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That's his answer. By the way, in that answer itself, Jesus is not saying that sin is okay. After all, he's the great physician. He's the physician who heals. And he has come to heal those who are sick with sin. Not to ignore their sin, not to encourage them in their sin, certainly not to join them in their sin, but to heal them from their sin. And in fact, the Bible presents sin as a spiritual disease, a deadly sickness. So here's one example from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. That was Isaiah's description of the Jews in his time, the, the Israelites, they were sinful. They had forsaken the Lord. And then he goes on to describe their sinfulness in um, this uh, figure of speech in verses 5 and 6. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. That was God's description of Israel in Isaiah's day. Completely overcome by sin. From the tops of their heads to the bottoms of their feet, their hearts, everything in between, they were diseased. And that's how God sees us until Jesus, the great physician, heals us. We are sick with sin. We are diseased and we need to be healed. We don't need to be healed from things that the world thinks we need to be healed from. We need to be healed from our sin. 
But that's why Jesus has come into the world. And so Jesus defends himself with this illustration. These are spiritually sick people. I'm the great physician. That's why I've come. I'm exactly where I need to be. I'm exactly where I'm needed. Then he turns the tables on them in verse 13. He quotes from the Old Testament scriptures. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And here he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Hosea. I think it's chapter 6 and verse, uh, yeah, it's chapter 6 and verse 6. And there God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In the context of Hosea, and by the way, God said similar things uh, to the people of Israel through more prophets than Hosea. But basically, this is what the Israelites in the Old Testament times thought. They thought they could live however they wanted to live. They could do whatever they wanted to do from Sunday through Friday, as long as on the Jewish Sabbath, they showed up and they offered their sacrifices as prescribed. I'm good. I'm religious. God accepts me. Because, after all, I offered the sacrifice that God required. And repeatedly in the Old Testament, God says things like, away with your sacrifices. Away with your Sabbaths and your new moons. All of your religious observances, which God himself prescribed. But don't think of these rituals as a substitute for having a heart for God. And that's what Jesus is saying here by quoting from Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. The sacrifices aren't the point. Mercy is the point. Sacrifices, after all, point to the mercy of God. The mercy of God in accepting blood shed by a substitute to expiate the sins of a believer. And because God is merciful to faithful Jews who offered sacrifices in that way, trusting in the provision of God to cleanse and to forgive, then those believers should be merciful themselves. How can someone who has received such great mercy not be merciful to other people in return? So you see how Jesus is turning the tables on the Pharisees. Here they're supposed to be experts in the law. They're supposed to be the religious elite. And they're completely missing the point of the Old Testament law itself. Rather than judging Jesus for wanting to show mercy to these poor sinners who wanted to hear the gospel of the kingdom, Rather than judging the whole scene and judging 
everybody involved in it. These Pharisees should themselves have been merciful. That's what the Old Testament self-teaches. Then Jesus concludes with this really important statement at the end of verse 13. For I came. By the way, where's Jesus from? Nazareth, Bethlehem, heaven. Jesus is the bread that has come down from heaven. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here, Jesus is alluding to his pre-existence, his eternal existence as God the Son. And Jesus came into this world on a mission for a particular purpose. And that mission, that purpose, was to call the righteous. No, to not call the righteous, but to call sinners. To call sinners to what? Once again, we uh, appeal to Luke. Luke 5 and verse 32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, Matthew apparently didn't include the words uh, to repentance in his recording of the story. But it was understood. Because again, that's what Jesus was preaching. He was going around preaching, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. So it's understood. Luke says, Jesus actually said the words, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's not a contradiction. Matthew doesn't say, Jesus did not say these words. He just omits those particular words. Uh, and that's a pretty common occurrence between the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sometimes one author will emphasize something that the other authors don't. But the reality is, God has given us a fourfold gospel. And the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are like four camera angles with different commentators beholding the same set of events. We have the advantage of having all of them. But in any event, this is the mission of Jesus, to call sinners to repentance. When he, is, when he says, I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, that doesn't mean there actually are such people. The Bible is clear, Old Testament and New. There is none righteous, no, not one. These Pharisees trusted in themselves that they were righteous, but they weren't actually righteous in God's sight. But if somebody is convinced that they're righteous before God, if somebody is persuaded that they're justified in God's sight because of their own good works, they're not going to want to hear 
the message of the gospel of the kingdom, which is all about repentance because they don't think that they need to repent. Repentance, remember, is a change of mind that produces the fruit of a changed life. That's what he was preaching to these tax collectors and sinners. He wasn't there to condemn them. He was there to say something like, well, here you guys are. You're guilty of whatever you're guilty of in God's sight. Outside, there's a bunch of Pharisees who are really mad at what's going on right now. Guess what? You guys are all in the same boat. The Pharisees think they're in a different boat than you guys. In reality, you're all in the same boat. The Pharisees are like dead people trying to look attractive. You guys, at least you're being honest. Honest with yourselves and honest with others. At least you guys are interested in hearing about the gospel, the message of the kingdom. Jesus would have said something like that. He wouldn't have said something like, well, it doesn't matter, Levi, that you were a tax collector. It doesn't matter, prostitutes, that you made your living that way. It doesn't matter, sinners, that that's how you lived. Just believe. No. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. He has come to call Sinners like all of us to repentance. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in the book of Acts, Acts 17 and verse 30, he said, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That's the message. But do you see how this goes together? with the passage that went before. What good does it do a sinner to repent, to, to turn from sin, if God is not forgiving and merciful? But this is such a blessing because Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Like we saw last week, all manner of sins, all classes of sins, all shapes and sizes of sins. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. And so when sinners like us turn from our sins to Christ, we embrace a merciful, forgiving sinners. We don't repent only to be kicked in the face. We don't turn only to be told to go back and do better. No. We're called to receive the Lord Jesus Christ 
as he's offered to us in the gospel. We're called to follow Jesus as he leads us as our Lord and Savior, the Good Shepherd. And as we do follow Jesus, like Matthew did, Jesus will teach us. He will cleanse us. He will sanctify us. We will be learners. That's the idea. And that's what our church, by the way, is all about. This is what Christianity is all about. That's what it's supposed to be about. We're, we're not supposed to give off this vibe to the outside world that they're unclean and we're in this different category than everybody else. We're, we're not supposed to project this, this attitude that we're better than anybody else. We're holier than thou. The, the message that we're supposed to project in our attitude and actually say with our words is that all of us are unclean and sick with sin. Dead, in fact, in our trespasses and sins. We're all polluted and defiled before a holy God. But God is so merciful and gracious and Jesus, the Son of God, is so powerful to forgive that he calls us as we are to turn from our sins to him and to embrace Jesus and receive the mercy of God that he freely gives through faith in Jesus. That's the attitude that we're supposed to project. And I think that we do. I think that we do. It could always grow. We need to beware of looking down our noses at other people. We need to be careful about giving someone the impression that we think that we're righteous. That's why we're Christians and that's why we're going to heaven and they're not going to heaven because they're not like us. Nope. The message is Jesus, salvation, righteousness, acceptance, outside of Jesus, sinfulness, death, destruction, pollutedness, defilement. That's where we all once were. We've been rescued. We've been healed. We've been forgiven. We have been accepted in the beloved. And God tells us to follow Matthew's example and to tell other people, hey, come hear the Savior who saved me. Come hear this amazing Savior who has such amazing good news to share. That is what it's all about. Everything else, and there's a lot else for sure. It's a big book, but it's icing on the cake. That is the main thing. And that is a very different message than any other religion the world has ever known. It's very different than what you're going to hear in the, wor in the world. It's not a self-help message. 
It's not a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps message. It's, it's not a message that says, well, first you have to go to purgatory or some other intermediate place and pay for your own sins before Jesus will even consider welcoming you, welcoming you into heaven. No, it's coming to Jesus as a tax collector or sinner and then following Jesus, a changed person. Don't try to change yourself first. That is not the Christian gospel. That message of thinking that you have to change yourself first, that is from the pit of hell. That's a false gospel that will never save. It's just going to add more burden to you, more discouragement. It's going to keep you further and further away from Jesus. Just stop the madness. Come to Jesus. and He will save you as you are. He won't leave you as you are, but he will save you as you are because he's the great physician of souls. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the amazing message of the gospel, the gospel of grace, the gospel of the kingdom. And we thank you for our Savior who not only preached the gospel, but he is the gospel. Would you help us, Lord, to keep the most important things the most important in our hearts? Would you help us to humble ourselves and to interact with other people, realizing that we have been shown great mercy? Would you give us opportunities, Lord, to open our mouths and to tell others about Jesus the way that Matthew did? Pray, Lord, that you would save all kinds of sinners in this assembly, in our town, in our state, across the country and around the world, so that Jesus would be praised. In his name we pray.